is also the title for the message this morning, What Do You Want Me to Do for You? Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the beggar was a bold man. When I had been in Brazil many years ago, when I was a young man, I was there with my wife looking, as some of you may, be, may know, looking at a possible mission post that I might serve at in northeast Brazil on the coast by the ocean. And uh, while there, my wife and I were discovering life in Brazil, and we visited a market in one of the villages. It was a, a small town, a, a true Brazilian village, where people were suffering poverty. But the, the market that we attended, the market was alive with people vying to purchase the things they needed for the week that was before them, fruit and vegetables and, and meat. But because this village was on the coast, it had this magnificent beach with a, a reef uh, about a kilometer offshore to break the strong waves so that it was just a magnificent, beautiful swimming beach. So there were many tourists that would visit there, and there were two-star, even three-star hotels that um, were right there in town or just outside. And so the market not only served the necessary essentials for any kind of human existence, fruits and vegetables and meat, but it also sold souvenirs and clothing and trinkets. So as we were walking through the market, I passed through one section of the market to another along through a, a narrow passage, maybe a doorway, and as I walked through that doorway, something fastened itself upon my wrist. And it frightened me when I felt it. I looked down and around my wrist were the long, skinny, filthy fingers of a beggar. Uma Cruzero, he asked me. He wanted whatever money I was willing to part with. When I looked down at the man, I saw a ruin and a broken human being. He was filthy. He had only a few rags upon him for clothes. And he had a missing eye and flies crawled around the rim where his eye used to be. And his seeing eye was alive with fire. Because this was a bold man. He knew what he wanted, and he didn't mind to do what he needed in order to get it. 
this is the only way that he could possibly survive. And I saw that immediately, and I gave him whatever money was in my pocket. And like I said, I was frightened, and I made my distance. The point is, he was not afraid to communicate his need. He wasn't afraid to demand the thing he needed from whoever passed by. And that's what the man in our story is very much like, the universal beggar in true dire situation. This is what a beggar does. If they are to live into their adult years, they need to be bold because otherwise they will not survive. Nobody is going to provide for them. That is so often the condition of a beggar. That is why we read about another beggar in one of the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ, which must have reflected the way it was in his day. There was a beggar at the door of a rich man whose body was covered with sores, and finally, because of his neglect, he, he eventually died. That's what happened to them. The man in our story is a survivor. He knows his needs, and he's not afraid to demand that it be, be fulfilled. The story, in ver beginning at verse 35, tells us that Jesus was drawing near to Jericho. Jericho, to approach the city of Jericho, has historic, symbolic importance for a biblical reader. It is symbolic because Jericho is the gateway into the promised land. Whenever you mention the city Jericho, our minds go back to Joshua, and the dramatic scenes which unfolded before Israel in those days, Jer Joshua sending spies to the city to check it out. And then Israel crossing the Jordan River miraculously as God opens a path for his people again. And then the marching around the city until the walls fell and Israel and her armies take the city. This was necessary in order that Israel may proceed in advance and take the land that God was giving to them so that Israel may, the armies of Israel may set the land free from the demons which had come and taken possession of it. And so just in that same way or in a similar way as Joshua once led Israel's host into the promised land, so Jesus now leads a large crowd into the city Jericho. Our reading doesn't speak about the large crowd, but the parallel passages in Luke, sorry, in Mark and in Matthew do. Jesus is coming into Jericho because he too must conquer the land because he too must set free the land that God gave to his people. He must set this land free from the demons which are taking possession of it 
again. And then, this will be the greater Joshua, for he is in, his interest is not just to set free the promised land. His interest is to set free the entire world from the grip of Satan to redeem all things and to make it new again. Now, just as the great battles awaited Joshua beyond the city of Jericho, so also the great battle awaited Jesus beyond the city Jericho as well. The great battle awaited him at Jerusalem, where he would be confronted by the enemy. Death, curse, hell. This is something that clearly was on the mind, in the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. He consciously was thinking, we are told that by Luke, he is consciously thinking beyond Jericho is the great conflict. For in verse 31 through 34, Jesus Christ shares with his disciples, again, he is obsessing about this, not because he is obsessive, but because it's so gripping, because it's so important, because this is what he has come for. He is thinking about the great moment which will fall upon him in Jerusalem. And so he tells his disciples again that he's going up to Jerusalem to be betrayed, to be mocked, to be spat upon, this time he adds, and to be killed. Jesus Christ is thinking about this. Jesus Christ is thinking about the things he must do in order to gain power over the enemy so that he may commence the, the reign of blessing for his people. Jesus Christ is thinking about his royal duties as the son of David. And the people are thinking about this too. The people are expecting that Jesus Christ is going into Jerusalem, the entrance into Jericho, and the road that leads beyond it to Jerusalem. The people are thinking the same thing because they are looking forward to Jesus taking on the royal mantle. When they come to Jerusalem later on this very week, when they come to Jerusalem, then the people are going to herald Jesus as the king. And they want Jesus to take his throne and to begin to establish the great messianic kingdom. For they cried out on the Sunday following, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. People are looking forward to that. 
But now Jesus is coming to Jericho. And as he approaches the city, a blind man is there by the side of the road. He is begging. And that's as it must be, because when bad men rule, people suffer. That is always the condition. That is always the result. No matter what organization you might be talking about. Where bad men rule, people suffer. When Satan rules, people will be reduced to begging. And they will be disfigured by all kinds of injuries. If it is so, at the entry point to the promised land, what will it be like at its center? It is an ominous indication of what awaits Jesus in Jerusalem. Satan's power is great, for the people suffer much. The blind beggar hears that a crowd is coming down the road. So he was asking the people what was happening. The, the word Luke uses, um, is a wor- or the, the verbal form that Luke uses is called the imperfect, is a wor- verbal form which means it's a continuous action. He was asking the people what was happening because he's just a beggar. People ignore him as much as they can, and they will only respond to him if they are absolutely obliged to, just as that beggar in the market that I spoke about. I would have walked right past him if I could have. I'm ashamed to say. And I think we all are inclined to do that too. This man was used to it. And he, real, he, all, he knew that if he was to get an answer from anybody, he would have to coerce it out of them. Perhaps he had to snap at somebody's ankle in order to get an answer to find out what's going on. And so somebody told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Not many people know Jesus of Nazareth. That is to say, not not many people knew what sort of king he would be. Not many people knew Jesus of Nazareth, what sort of king he would be in that time, and that continues to be a problem which afflicts God's people right down through the ages, even to the present, even in this place. We don't realize what sort of king Jesus of Nazareth would be or has become. But this beggar, even though he is blind, he knows Jesus, his king. He knows that Jesus is the kind of king who would care about his people no matter who they are, from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
None would be too poor to draw his attention. None would be so disfigured or ugly for him to not pay attention to them and look them in the face and love them. The more fallen, the more would he love. That's the sort of God who sent him into the world. God is the sort who delights, who wants to be known as one who lifts up the fallen, who gives hope to those without hope. God delights in them. God famously said this through his prophet Isaiah. It was the passage we heard in the call to worship, and I don't mind to repeat it because it's so beautiful. God says, I dwell in the high and holy place, but also with him who is of a contrite, and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. If there's anything God wants to be known as, it is to be known as the helper of the helpless. The king is coming through. And he is coming for such a man as this, this broken man, reduced to ruin, who cries out to him. Jesus, son of David, he cried, have mercy. The crowd called him Jesus of Nazareth. But the blind man sees more in Jesus and calls him by his royal title, Jesus, son of David. To one more desperate, there is more hope. Have mercy, he cries. Oh, my king, see my suffering and save me from it. See what the enemy has done to me. See how the people suffer under his rule. But he asks for mercy. As you had mercy on the leper and cleansed him. As you had mercy on the woman with the blood disease and healed her. As you had mercy on the father whose son was demon-possessed and expelled the demon. As you had mercy on them, so my king, have mercy on me. But the people, they do not know the king. They do not know that he is the helper of the helpless and eyes to the blind. They think, well, he's our king, and kings belong with the great, and leaders belong with the strong, and the wise belong with the intelligent. And Jesus belongs with us. 
and he does not belong to this beggar. So their reaction to his cries for mercy was to tell him to shut up and to be quiet. Your pain is of no concern to the king. The king is important and you are nothing, so be silent. They think. And that shapes their response. Perhaps you remember somebody else doing almost the exact same thing a little earlier on in the gospel according to Luke. Luke has just previously to this described the account of parents carrying their babies to Jesus in order to have Jesus touch their little ones. That was important to them. But the disciples think, well, they're just babies. Jesus is much too important for babies to touch them. And so the the disciples tried to get the parents to, to leave, tried to shoo them away. Until Jesus rebuked them and said, it's exactly for them. It is exactly for such as these that I have come. Don't you disciples understand the character of the king of Israel? And so this is an important kind of thing to to Luke. Luke describes it twice, almost in succession. He describes the problem of people misunderstanding the character of the reign of our king. Because it's really important to understand this about Jesus. Jesus Christ represents precisely this value that he has come for the great and the, and the small. That he has come especially to lift up the fallen and to raise up those who have no hope. This is really important to look because it is historically from the very beginning right to the very present It is historically one of the problems among the people of God that we want to walk past the poor, that we want to ignore those who really suffer, that we don't want to give our time and we don't want to give our resources. We have lots of excuses to not do it. And we think we have more important things to do. So Luke is giving us an important warning here. Not to think more of ourselves than we ought. And not to think less of others than we ought. Luke is giving us an important warning that should cause us to search our hearts. But Luke is also giving us wonderful and rich comfort. Because isn't it wonderful to know 
that with God there is nobody who is so insignificant that he won't care for them. There's nobody that cries out to him for mercy that he does not seek them out in order to respond to the cries of their hearts. When you cry out to him, when you cry out to the only God and the only Savior, when you cry to him, he will hear you. And he will seek you out. And he will take care of you because he loves you. He is so in love with you that he will not just cross the ocean to be near to you or take down a star from the sky to show his admiration and devotion to you. He will cross from heaven to earth and to hell in order to be near to you. That is the central message of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the Emmanuel, God with us. And there is no distance he won't cross, though the distance is infinite. There is no distance he won't cross to be near to you. And he doesn't just take a star down from the sky. He reaches beyond the sky to heaven itself. And he brings heaven down. And he gives it to his bride. As an expression of his devotion and absolute love for her. He loves you. And he's waiting to hear whatever requests that you have for him. If you cry out to him for mercy, he will leap to your aid. Because he is totally in love with you and devoted to you. He's in love with you because he's not afraid, as Paul urges us to be in Romans 12, he's not afraid to associate with those who have a low position. The man heard the beggar on the side of the road. He learned that it was Jesus of Nazareth, as he was told, that was coming down the road. And so he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The people tried to shut him down. In his reaction, as we have heard from the very beginning, he's a bold man. His response was to call louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And so Jesus stopped. He summoned the man, and we read that the man was brought to Jesus maybe that means that he was led to him, but it sounds like he was carried to Jesus, so he's not only blind, but lame, perhaps, too. And when the man is brought to Jesus, Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? 
What a question. What do you want me to do for you? Perhaps you might say, well, isn't it obvious? Does Jesus have to ask? The man's blind. Consequently, he's a beggar. But it's not enough to be bold. You need to believe in Jesus Christ. That's good. But you need to be honest about your needs, and you have to be able to express them to your king. If you want mercy from your king, you need to express what it is, what specifically it is that you want from him. And in your private prayer that you offer tonight, or whatever point you offer your intense spiritual prayer, tell him Specifically, what is it you want from him? Because he cares about you. If Jesus asked you, what do you want me to do for you? Well, what would you answer? Jesus, I'm a pretty good person. I need a little help. I need a bit of help with this problem. Or, Jesus, I'm a good woman. Make sure God sees the good things I do. There are many people, in other words, there are many people who come to Jesus and they do not come as a beggar. They do not come totally dependent upon the mercy of the king. They come to Jesus and they think they are somebody. They have something. And they can bargain with the king. But we are all beggars. We have nothing to bargain with God with. We have nothing to offer him We must come before him like a beggar because we need everything. Jesus says to me, what can I do for you? Jesus, I need everything. I don't need just a little, I need everything. And so go to him and say, Lord, I want to live. The beggar says, Lord, I, I want to see. Just hearing, just picturing that image. Jesus saying, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. Receive your sight. And the man is restored by the power and by the mercy of his king. A magnificent, just a beautiful image of tenderness and care of our king. Yes, Lord. My king, I pray, I want to live. Tell him that. Because it's your only hope. Amen. Amen.